0: Hi, this is Susan Nethercut, and welcome to the Studio Insider Art Podcast. In these episodes, I throw open the doors to my art studio practice and how I run my business as a professional artist. Whether it be candid chats with my studio assistants, Laura and Steph, or interviews with other artists, or answering listener questions, there is something here for every emerging artist. I hope my journey can help you feel a little bit more at home in your own. Hi everyone and welcome. I'm here in the studio again with Steph. Hello. Hi Steph, how are you going? (laughs) I'm good, I'm good. I was dying to sit down and talk with you again because after our last conversation, you have what's happened tell us <laughs> well
1: do you remember throwing down the mantle and saying you should paint i did yeah and i was like oh not know so i'll get addicted and then oh, you know, i'm too busy why are you gonna get addicted well because like most creative people once i start something fun and creative i can't stop so ah. i have to be quite careful what i introduce into that sphere because i have re- real life responsibilities. yes And I can lose myself in new, exciting. Yes,
0: I completely can relate. I think a lot of people can relate to that one out there. Yeah. Totally. But you didn't listen to that. You didn't listen to the sensible, controlled voice.
1: (laughs) No. So tell us what's happened. Well, I started painting and now I can't stop. Okay.
0: So you have acquired the problem you were trying to avoid, but I'm guessing that it's a rather joyful problem. I'm loving it. So tell us about what's happened because I I was thinking back on our last conversation where we were talking about painting as a practice and you were talking about how you were, you know, watching all of this beautiful Mm. creativity from afar and it was just making you want to paint. Yeah. And you've picked up a brush again. Yeah. And I know because I know you well that you have just been – quite prolific since then and having a good time so tell us what's happened within you because I'm yeah. really excited to hear how you have basically established a new painting practice for yourself and how that has unfolded for you
1: I mean it's been really joyous but it's also triggered a whole bunch of stuff in ah. yeah so double-edged sword hmm so to backtrack a little bit I decided in the true spirit of painting as a practice I wasn't gonna overthink it I was gonna go home and I was gonna use whatever I had so you know like i love that Mm. i love that so i pulled out my acrylics that have probably been sitting there for 10 years were they still okay yeah they're fine (laughs) whatever and what else used my daughter's hog bristle brushes you know just like yeah yeah, yeah. brushes like whatever whatever i had house paint that was what came in handy yeah awesome it's like crayons anything because one of the things that it triggered in me is when you're kind of good at creative stuff although it's really fun and lovely to learn you put a lot of pressure on yourself to be good at stuff
0: yes yes
1: and I think I have a lot of snobby art school baggage yeah well you
0: have the fine art degree so tell us about that and what painting again has brought up for you
1: when I went to art school I studied ceramics not painting okay um but it was a very yeah snobby is a good word for it so Mm -hmm. it's like I went to kind of a very like an art school with a great reputation that's been going for like a hundred years. Where did you go? I went to Edinburgh College of Art. Okay. And it has a really amazing painting course there. Yep. And it also had a lot of baggage around what is and isn't valid. Yes, which is very common with art school educations, unfortunately. Uh Yep. And also a very strong structure in terms of how you reach that valid result yes and play is not it <laughs> okay yes you know yeah controlled studies and really understanding your subject before you let go
0: and intellectualizing your subject yeah, as
1: well. yeah. which for me is the death of quality of work for me you and a lot of people Steph.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay so tell us about what you've been working through i've got a uh, few pieces here that you brought in Mm. today to show me and they're absolutely gorgeous we might have to link to them somehow in the podcast but you've done a lot of them on wood which i love why have you chosen wood a couple of
1: reasons one i have lots of wood lying around my studio that's right because you make teeny tiny dolls furniture i do i Mm. do and so i use a lot of ply yeah um so i had it yeah And also, I know for myself that I get pretty uptight, Mm -hmm. I think is the word, when I go to use expensive supplies. Like I have this um, poor art student hangover. Yeah, I think a (laughs) lot of
0: people also have substrate anxiety, like big, beautiful, clean canvases Mm -hmm. that you can't give yourself permission to touch. That is so great, because I actually love how they look, like they have such a raw, beautiful found object feel about them and it's part so much of the beauty of what you've created with them i absolutely love it and so what have you done you just gessoed them yep just gessoed
1: them and like not and, and broken all the rules So, they're not, you know, they're not like beautifully archival. Yeah. But that was
0: kind of the point. It is kind of the point, isn't it? Because when Mm -hmm. you're breaking out of those first stages of like re entering a creative zone or entering it for the first time, I totally agree with that. I think it's really important to just release yourself of Mm -hmm. any of the anxiety around, you know, am I using my materials correctly and in the right way? Because it can really inhibit those beautiful magic moves that you make that end up being Mm. the poetry of the painting yes because you're like oh my god is it going to be archival and you can't when you when you're birthing like that yeah you know in those early stages of exploration i think you've really got to allow yourself to just enjoy the materials explore them Mm -hmm. find out which mark making tools feel good in your body what effects you like and then you can figure that stuff out later
1: yeah so i focused on volume great over, you know quality awesome <laughs> which actually improved the quality as it always does yes. big believer in that and this is the first time that i've ever painted intuitively and i think okay. i, I yeah. think i said to you when we were talking about before that my body yearns for a third dimension yes but since i've tapped into that sense of intuition and what my body yearns in painting that sensation is gone well, because painting can be very three-dimensional. You can really
0: carve into paint when you use heavy body mm. paint. I'm so glad that you've discovered mm. that. And do you think it's also partly because you're painting on timber and it Maybe. has a big tactile, like it's actually, a, it feels like an object rather than a surface? Yeah. Yeah.
1: And one of my other reasonings behind using timber is that often I create piles and piles of work and then they sit in a folder. Yeah, right. Just withering away. And then they move house with me six times over 10 years. Mm -hmm. And they actually give me guilt. Yeah. Because I'm like, oh, I've still not done anything with that. Mm -hmm. But with timber, like the the week following, I taught myself how to frame. Ah! (laughs) As you do. That's so awesome. So within a week, pieces that were just play became beautifully framed in hardwood and something that i can either hang or gift have you hung them no no i mean they're sitting on a shelf well that's they're out in your life that is such a great thing they're not withering away in a park yes great Mm. i love that yeah you're really honoring the pieces that you've made i'm trying because i'm trying to like let go of judgment on myself yes about what's good and what's not good and what's valid and what's not valid yeah and i think through the observation of the painting as a practice hashtag that i've been watching and helping curate it's really showing me that there are no rules no and letting go of that is what produces the quality of work yes so just for those people listening that don't
0: know back in february i ran a challenge called painting as a practice it was what i call a soft challenge which was Mm -hmm to paint from a place of joy and spontaneity every day for the month of February. And you didn't participate in that, but you were around that. Mm. And you are also doing a lot of the reposting on the painting as a practice page Mm -hmm. on Instagram and kind of been managing that community to a large degree, which I've been keeping an eye on, but I'm not in there all the time as much as you are. So can you tell me what has come out of that that has informed this creative explosion that's currently emerging from you
1: it's put me in a space where i've asked a lot of questions of myself about my own assumptions okay so which mm-hmm. ones in particular things that look like things are not okay ah representation yeah is this yep. a hangover from art yep. school do you think yeah definitely okay it's, it's like if you're going to be abstract be abstract you okay. know like you've got to separate something that could be decorative from something that is important yes the division between fine (laughs) art and the decorative arts hey
0: yeah which is such an such a hardcore division that's Mm -hmm. this kind of really artificial overlay that you find in art history between the decorative arts and what is fine arts the higher arts they were actually referred to often back in the day and, and so that's a bit, been a big stumbling block for you because I'm noticing in these pieces that you've brought along today that you have, you have some natural forms from nature in there. Because
1: I had to let
0: myself let go of that crap. Yeah. And how did it feel <laughs> when you finally let yourself do it?
1: Oh, I'm still not. I'm still working through still it. It's still not okay but It's that. still fresh. I think also that I would traditionally start a piece of art with observational studies. and i love observational studies and i can get really lost in observational drawings and paintings and the preparation and then i would discover that the, the best work was actually in my sketchbook yes when i tried to translate that into the final piece all that joy and spontaneity was lost and the only way i could recover it was by becoming illustrative And then I felt frustrated by that because that's not the art I wanted to create okay so I completely relate to this by the way do
0: you I completely do because I have a kind of a similar reaction sometimes with my own work periodically I go through phases where like I want to explore something very different to what I'm doing and I realize that underneath that there is some kind of a level of rejection of what I'm already making is not good enough for all of the reasons Mm -hmm. that you're describing um I completely relate to that feeling and it's so insidious the way that it slips into my consciousness like I can be going along very well in my own journey staying in my own lane really comfortable within my own style and what I'm doing and really embracing and accepting of it and then this little voice comes (laughs) in and it's like you need to be doing something cooler than floral art or you know, and I'm like, who is this 14-year-old who <laughs> wants to be cool? Yes. I'm a 45-year-old woman, it's the jig is up, right? <laughs> <laughs> so I totally relate to what you're saying, because it still comes in, like and it's and at the at the bottom of it is actually like this really severe rejection of The style that I have very authentically come to through painting as a practice in my own life. Mm. And it's a a style that people resonate with. They buy it. They commission it. And then I'll just... A part of me will will reject it. It's so bizarre.
1: The inner rebel.
0: The inner rebel. Yeah,
1: I I feel it. It's strong. Mm. It's like I don't want to do what everybody else is doing. I don't want to paint botanics because everybody's doing that and it's kind of a thing at the moment. So I can't do that. I don't want to do that. I want to be different is what's going on in my brain. Yeah, okay. But I'll be honest, I love botanics. Yeah. And it's a big part of my life and you know, my house is filled with plants and I love being outside and being in nature. Mm -hmm. And recently, this past weekend, we went camping um, and we went to this beautiful part of the world that I feel is such a... Well-kept-secret, I almost don't want to tell people about it, you know. Anyway, it's... Well, you're about to tell (laughs) a whole bunch of people about it, so it up. So it's on the Great Ocean Road, which is... um you know, a really uh, popular tourist part of Australia. It's an incredibly beautiful coastal Mm. area, but we go to this tiny little hidden spot that no one ever really bothers to go to. And it's stunning. And I, we go there because I used to live and work on a school camp when I first moved to Australia. And it's on that coast. And I realized when I was there this weekend that so much of my aesthetic is informed by that place. Mm. So the river with its high iron oxide levels there's this beautiful deep red brown and the rocks are all beautiful different shades of ochre and pinks Mm. and oranges and yellows and the you know the soft kind of cool green of the scrub and the eucalypt that's my visual language and I didn't really realize that till now and it was this weekend that I let myself bring those botanical elements into my work Ah. But I felt a sense of imposter syndrome. I'm not Australian, and these—ah, right. This—the visual language of the UK. How dare
0: you love our landscape? I
1: know. (laughs) So after that visit to this part of the coast, I realised that it was—it's very much entrenched in me and my experience of this land and my story within this land and. I kind of allowed myself to use that visual language in my work, which I hadn't before because I was afraid of becoming too illustrative. And that's not the direction that I felt like I wanted to explore. I've been there and done that. I don't want to do that anymore. I want to tap into my intuition and paint with freedom and abandon and make marks and just allow something to unfold. I love hearing you say that because... What you're talking
0: about is, is deep connection, right? So I really do believe that as artists, whenever we make deep connection with anything, and I have a very deep connection with nature as well, particularly with flowers, and it evokes feeling and emotion and a sense of something greater, a connection to something greater. And I know for a fact, because I've done it time and time again, that when I paint from a space of awareness, Around those feelings of what those for you it's the landscape for me it's often my own garden what that evokes in me and what that opens up inside of me the painting that I do inside that feeling is so much better than the paintings that I make when I'm not connected with those feelings it's a real palpable difference in my mind Mm. and I really do believe that that's the secret source to creating really good art and when you allow yourself to make a lot of art in that context you're actually meditating like it's a form Mm. of meditation you're actually you're being present with those feelings and being present with the connection with the landscape and really letting it flow through you for a period of time and and the painting almost becomes a way of becoming one with it does that make sense
1: yeah it does Mm. and i think for me, it's been letting go of the expectation around that that has produced, that has allowed that to come out. Like, That's great. You know, letting go of the worry and the concern about how it's going to turn out. And, and I have discovered that my ugliest starts are my favorite ends. hmm And I'm struggling with when to stop, but I've taken a bit of your advice and I just like we'll work on three at once let them go if I don't like them that's cool there's some pieces I'll show you today that I really dislike but there are elements that I like so I know that that will either inform the next pieces of work or I just go back into them
0: and keep Mm. playing
1: and keep layering
0: and keep learning don't you find there's such great permission in those pieces that you initially reject because then you just get to play with them in however yep. you want to and it takes a whole heap of pressure off
1: I feel like it can't get worse so
0: mm. which is one of the really core elements to painting as a practice which i'm now in the midst of developing into an e-course the thing one of the core things is all around that it's creating volumes of work to take the pressure off and to make the attitude of play absolutely central to the whole process rather than this i think often what happens out there is people are trying to evolve finished bodies of work too quickly in a sense Mm -hmm. um everyone wants to be presenting these beautiful completed collections online and and just somehow fast-forward and fast-track to a maturity that takes most artists years to evolve and i do think it's possible to progress quickly and progress in a way where you can evolve fairly quickly but you still have to do the work you still have to make the volumes of work
1: yeah Mm. and i feel that um you know in painting as a practice there was the soft challenge to do it every day Mm. I haven't intentionally done this every day, but I reckon that that hardly a day has gone past in the past three weeks that I haven't done something. And because of that, I feel like I have really fast-tracked that. Like, I hung all my pieces up today in my studio, and I was like, there is a good solid six out of these ten pieces that I would be happy showing people. Yep. And that might have taken me six months otherwise. Yeah. So... Not only is it fast tracking that process, but it's helping me find my visual language faster. A visual language that I'm comfortable with and excited by and finding all those little threads to explore for the next six pieces that I'm going to love. And the thing
0: that I really love about hearing you say that is that the visual language that you're finding is a really authentic internal one. Mm
1: -hmm. Because
0: I think it's so easy... You know, we've got so much around us in social media, we're just so exposed to visual imagery everywhere we go these days. That we don't often give ourselves the time to really dig in deep within ourselves and just allow what wants to come to come and then observe that and mm. see what are the what are the repetitions here, what are the threads that are coming through that are what I want to scoop up. And play with a bit more and evolve and deepen my journey with and that is how you find your authentic style don't you think I do
1: Mm. I do and I can really relate with the position that you're in where what you love in your home and in your life is not what you create
0: let's talk about that for a minute (laughs) because I actually really struggle with that one because it's a real thing in in the online world, particularly, where you kind of... Peop- it's like you are your brand, right? And yep. Everything around you has to be representative of your brand. Now, not a single bright-coloured painting hangs in my home. It's like, well, that's not true because I hang art in my wall. <laughs> that I've completed that I'm storing there. But I don't go out and buy that kind of art. I don't go and buy bright-coloured bed linen. I do have some bright clothes, but a lot of what I wear is very neutral. Mm-hmm. I've really struggled with that because... I've felt like, am I somehow not authentic because my personal style doesn't reflect my art style? Do you, And have you struggled with that as well? Or? Yeah, a little yeah. bit. Okay. Yeah.
1: yeah. Like, I look at the artists that I love and their techniques and their use of colour, the people who whose work I would like to hang on my wall, and it is nothing like what I'm creating. Nothing mm. like it. Theirs is way more... I don't know, uh, energetic Mm -hmm. and more skillful and restrained and colourful at once. That's why I say more skillful, because Mm -hmm. I feel like that's a very hard thing to do. Um, But here I am making these earthy, neutral, playing with cool and warm tones, and it's not anything like what I wish, in inverted commas, I could...
0: Mm. Do what I
1: wished I could make, mm. but through—I mean, we had a brief conversation, sort of over a cup of tea in the kitchen one time about about being meaningful, mm-hmm. and he was sort of playing around and being like, "Oh yeah, it doesn't mean anything, but it's it's not valuable." Well, that's an art school, mm-hmm.
0: yeah, and then he dug in further
1: yeah. and said, "My art isn't like—is it—is full of meaning? Like it's so." embedded in your truth and the experiences and the journey that you've followed to get there that all it is is
0: meaning well the thing that i've realized to me is and i it's really crystallized in this conversation actually it's not the meaning of the art that means the most to me and generally within the western art world it's what art means that matters the most that's the most valuable yardstick it's very intellectual for me the most valuable function of art is does it connect? Mm. Has it connected and evoked something within another person? Because the one thing that gets reflected back to me over and over again from people online particularly is they tell me that my paintings make them feel things, Mm. it connects them with an emotion within themselves that somehow they couldn't access and my painting has helped to nurture that connection And then they buy it and purchases are very emotional things. So this is, I think, in terms of from a business point of view, it's that's obviously not, you know, the yardstick for what makes the art valuable. But I'm a human that lives on the earth. I need to earn a living and sell my work in order to keep doing what I'm doing. So that is a very valid point. But to me, that's the greatest compliment anyone can give me is that they connected with it and it made them feel something that's so much more valuable to me than making someone think something and just because our academic art system doesn't see that as the most valuable thing doesn't mean that's true
1: yeah i agree Mm. Mm. and i feel like in my three-dimensional work i've i've um exercised those ghosts (laughs) of that quite quite well like you know sticking my middle finger up to them to the art school man like I'll do what I want. Thank you very much. And it is equally valid. But yeah, transitioning into a new medium, a medium that is less less craft and folk. Exactly. <laughs>
0: More high art, mm-hmm. highbrow.
1: Yes, which painting sort of sits
0: in the paradigm, yeah. doesn't it? Mm.
1: But it's been joyous to kind of let go of that.
0: And what's wonderful is I think that it's happening globally anyway yeah you know the, the what the democratization that's happened with art through social media for example and that people you know the gatekeepers the traditional gatekeepers of gallery owners and no it's no longer the only path to success as an artist has you know the, the whole landscapes changing and we're getting to decide what's valuable for us and I think that's just so wonderful
1: I've just thought of a downside What's the downside? Well, the downside is, like you, I run a business. (laughs) (laughs) And that business is very much connected to social media and very much connected to making imagery that people feel a strong connection to, which then wants them to have a part of that in their life, which then allows me to pay my bills and feed my kid. However... When you're obsessed with painting (laughs) or anything that isn't my core business, it's very hard to generate and care about and be authentic about my business right now. Okay. But this is, I know this is a phase, but let me tell you, I'm like, well. Is it? Maybe, I don't know. It's a transition. That's, I think that's a better word. It, for it. It's is a transition. It's a transition. There'll be something and it new new is what it is at knows. the moment.
0: Something will come at the end. Yep. Maybe it's more painting. Maybe yep. it's more teeny tiny furniture. Maybe it's something else altogether because the one thing I know about you <laughs> is I'm never <laughs> going to be bored watching your life. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm going to take that as a compliment, but I'm not sure. <laughs> who is?
0: <laughs> but no, I hear you. I hear you. But it's so important to. And I actually think you're doing a really good job of this, allowing space for yourself to evolve within that public space. I've noticed that actually on your account over the last few weeks as you've been exploring your painting, you're allowing that
1: to be out there. I am, but let me tell you, my people don't like it. My tribe don't like it. They're like, what? What's going on? Who even is this? Who cares? But... I'm doing it anyway because I don't, it's not a foolhardy thing of wanting to alienate people. It's that my business started through sharing what my creative life looked like. And that Mm -hmm. is a huge part of that story. And it's okay if people are only there for the tiny furniture. I get that. That's all right. But that doesn't mean that that's the only part of my story. So I have been considered in what I do and don't share But right now, it's that or nothing. Yep. I think you've just got to follow it
0: because there's so much integrity in that. The only other thing I'll say, and I'll just leave you to mull this over. um, I had a couple of businesses before I did the art business, and all of the businesses I had before never had my name on them. They had business Mm. names. And when I started making art, that was the time I went, this has my name this gets my name because it was it felt like the most pure authentic expression of me. And so that those businesses still have accounts on Facebook, etc. They don't have Instagram accounts. They kind of were prior to that time for me. But um that might be something to consider. Do you want to evolve this part of yourself in a different space? But then I get that you might not want to because you have a fairly healthy following on your mostly miniature account.
1: I do, but everything's in transition, mm. including Instagram. like you know it's a face it's a it's a it's a moment in time. and well, I, I think this could be a really amazing
0: discussion that we could flesh out a mm. bit more in another episode. What do you do when your passion is in one area and
1: your business is in another? I think it's a very interesting conversation because who you are and what you do are often so closely intertwined as makers designers painters it's very hard to separate yourself from your business it is food for thought Mm. well this has been an amazing discussion I've got so much. I want to go paint now.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks so much for opening up your journey to us, Steph. I feel like this is going to be a really beautiful unfolding to watch. If you'd like to see what Steph is doing, you can go and check her out on at Mostly Miniature. And you have mostlyminiature.com, I'm sure. She makes absolutely gorgeous stuff. And she's got her paintings on there as well now. So go have a look-see. Go give us some love.
1: Thanks heaps, Steph. You're welcome. See ya. Bye.
0: Thanks for tuning in to the Studio Insider Art Podcast. You can always see more of my art over at susannetherclip.com, and if you're interested in learning from me or checking out the podcast notes, you can find those over on susannethercutstudio.com. I love hearing your comments and feedback, so feel free to leave a review on your preferred podcast platform. And if you like what you're hearing, then why not take a screenshot of this episode and share it in your Instagram stories. Be sure to tag me at susan.nevercut so I can say hi. Catch you next time.